0: please visit redemptionokc.com. Good morning to you all. My name is Chris Clark and I'm the worship pastor and one of the elders here at Redemption. And I have the incredible privilege of getting to open up God's word uh, together with you today. And, um, I want you to know this God has grown my love for this church every day so these words come from a deep place of love and gratitude for what God's done here in this place I want to start this morning off by reading a Thanksgiving story we just came from Thanksgiving and I found this incredible story it's an autobiographical account of one man's Thanksgiving story experience over about a decade so i'm just going to read it for you here a sense of belonging december 12 2010 after 15 years of alcoholism and significant drug abuse i get sober i'm in france completely lost utterly broken spiritually and morally bankrupt heading for divorce and soon to be homeless at 33 years old I'm starting my life all over again, and it's utterly terrifying. Starting out in a new world of sobriety was daunting, but through an online running club, I met two missionary families who took me in and loved on me in a way my soul really needed. The husbands of those families accepted me for the broken mess that I was, and the wives, well, they felt sorry for this divorced guy who had two kids and was down on his luck. Their pity manifested itself in some rather tasty offerings. On any given day, I was a recipient of a homemade curry, a chicken pot pie, a red velvet cheesecake, or a tiramisu big enough to feed a rugby team. I'd been going to church with them for seven months, but mostly because I loved them and they seemed to love me. They could keep their Jesus, though. The invitation to my first Thanksgiving dinner came in November 2011. I was definitely a little rough around the edges, and I'm sure a few conversations and prayer meetings were had to discern whether or not I would swear in front of their impressionable young children. Despite my flaws and the rawness of what I had been through, they opened the doors of their homes and invited me to the table. As my eyes feasted on the vast array of food, who knew green bean casserole was a thing? I was overwhelmed with emotion. These families could have kept this experience to themselves. They could have gone the easy route and invited safe people from their church. But instead, they invited me. Their actions spoke of a grace that sought me out and said, you have worth. You belong. It felt as if. The lonely boy from Ireland had been placed in the heart of a loving family, no longer on the outside looking in. My second Thanksgiving, it came the following year. I had grown deeper in relationship with one of the families and was newly saved after a strong encounter with the Holy Spirit at a service. I'd gotten to know a few more missionaries serving in Paris and was now doing life alongside a remarkable group of people. And what was not part of the narrative for Thanksgiving 2012 was that I would fall immediately in love with a missionary visiting from Germany. Val instantly captivated me with her elegance and grace. And on my third Thanksgiving, Val and I were engaged to be married. You see, Thanksgiving year after year, my love for this holiday deepens. Some of the most pivotal happenings in my life occurred on that fourth Thursday in November. I love it too for the food. Each year, as we gather with our friends to give thanks, we invite others who don't know Thanksgiving and don't know Jesus. Isn't that an amazing story? We'll read a little bit more of that later on. That's Mally McLaughlin. I absolutely love everything about his Thanksgiving story. It's a journey. It challenges me. It encourages me. It reminds me of what Jesus has really called us to
1: do. It's earthy it's messy, it's spiritual, it's beautiful, all at the same time. But
0: most of all, it points us to the breadth and height and width and depth of the love of God for us that chases us down. We just sang it, didn't we? His love is running after us. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that mentions Thanksgiving in a very particular way. We will unpack the claim that practicing Thanksgiving is the will of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we will explore three practical ways to practice Thanksgiving every day, not just on the third Thursday of November. You guys ready? So let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians is toward the back of your Bible in the New Testament. It's a very short book, so it's real easy to skim over. Uh, if you've got the digital ver- version, it's easy to find there. Um, but as you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of background on this book, as we'll only be reading from one chapter this morning. Um, a side note here it's our practice at Redemption to usually go through an entire book of the Bible and preach through each of the verses, but occasionally uh, for a topic, we will go to one specific passage and we'll glean what it has to say there. So, a few things to know about 1 Thessalonians before we jump in. This is the first of two letters. It's written by the Apostle Paul and delivered to the church in Thessalonica after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul had gone to one of the Jewish synagogues to teach about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And his teachings were largely rejected by the Jews. However, many Gentiles or unbelievers in the region began to accept his teaching and follow his teaching. And the church began to explode. And there, there happened to be this massive disagreement about what Paul was teaching, and so they were experiencing some hardship. The Jews were teaching that the return of Christ had already happened, and, the, and Paul was teaching the church that Jesus was going to come back again. So there's this big disagreement. Paul was actually thrown in prison, and so he writes these letters from prison. He heard of the new believers suffering in Thessalonica. Some were experiencing persecution even unto death. And so Paul, desperate from his prison cell to encourage these Thessalonians, wrote a letter and delivered, them, delivered the letter to them through his young disciple, Timothy. So let's dig in here. We're going to read from chapter 5, verses 14 through 24. These are Paul's final instructions to the church in Thessalonica. And it's like he's saying, hey, listen, if there's anything you guys hear from this letter, please hear these final instructions, okay? So he's kind of summing up a lot of things right here. We pick it up in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. And he will surely do it. Encouraging words from Paul. And a big list, right? I believe this list of instructions would profoundly change our world if every believer actually lived them out. Don't you? Before we unpack this short text, did you catch the phrase right there in the middle? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Wait, what? Is the Bible actually telling me what God's will is for my life? Isn't this a question you hear often in the church? How do we know what the will of God is? What's the meaning of my life? How do we know what God wants from us? Well, Christian, you might be saying that's easy. Just read the Bible. Yes, you're right. That's precisely what we ought to do. But how many times do we ask this question of the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? And we forget to heed our own advice. We don't read what's in here. Now, if you've been around the church, you've often heard this phrase, and you've often prayed it, right? God, would you just show me your will? You've maybe talked to your church friends about it. I'm just searching for what God's will is for my life in this, right? Just trying to discern it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's actually a really good question you're not a Christian or maybe you consider yourself a skeptic of the Christian faith this question might seem a bit odd or maybe maybe not God has a will for me like he wants to leave me something when he dies what are we talking about here actually yes he does want to leave you something and he did leave you something when he died it's actually the best gift you could ever receive but that's not the kind of will we're talking about here we're talking about God's purposes or plan for creation and humanity. Well, there's several aspects of God's will that we cannot even begin to touch in one sermon. But for the purpose of this morning, when I'm referring to the will of God, I'm talking about the perceptive or command will of God. That is commands or passages in scripture that tell us exactly what to do and how to live or what not to do. That's what I mean by God's will for us. And this passage, it tells us explicitly what God wants us to do. How he wants us to act and behave as believers. And I believe there's a powerful secret to living a life of light and joy hidden in this text. So Christian, skeptic, let's get on the edge of our seat. Let's lean in together. Let's see what this passage has to teach us the Thanksgiving table. As Paul is wrapping up this letter to the new believers in Thessalonica, he's pleading with them to keep some concrete things on the table of their lives. Let's just imagine a table. We all just came from Thanksgiving where there was probably dish after dish just covering the table. Let's imagine this text like a Thanksgiving table. He's pleading with them to keep some dishes on the table, okay? And I believe that verse 18 Give thanks in all circumstances is the centerpiece of this table. For this is the will of God for you in Christ. Why was this such a powerful statement to the Thessalonians? Why would I suggest that this might be the centerpiece? Well, it's in the middle of the text. So one, it's, it's the centerpiece in that regard. But for those reading this letter, they were going through persecution. They were going some going through some really tough times. Everything Paul had taught them
1: was being rejected by the people they were trying to worship with. Even to the point of death. Life was really hard, and here's Paul telling them, "Give thanks in all
0: circumstances." If we just took that one verse and read that, right? This morning just that one verse, "Give thanks in all circumstances." That's what a good Christian is supposed to do. Doesn't that just sound pithy and like a wall art statement that we might hang on our wall? There's something deeper here, right? How do we give thanks in all circumstances? And Paul, I believe, is showing us how to really live this out. How do we know this? We look at the whole table, everything he's laying out for the believer. Look again at verses 14 and 15. He says this, I urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. These are all things he's setting on the table, right? See that no one repays evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So he places these very visceral and active commands on the table for us. Admonish the idle. What does that mean? Warn each other when they begin to chase after something, anything else above God. Admonish the idol. An idol is placing anything above God. Warn each other when this is happening. Encourage those who are faint-hearted. If you see someone's having a hard time, encourage them. Help the weak. That's on the table. If someone's struggling physically, spiritually, financially, help them. That's on the table. Be patient with them all. This one's a little harder, right? Don't do this with a bad attitude. Don't warn people. Don't encourage and help one another begrudgingly. But couple that with patience for all. Don't repay evil for evil. Ooh, it's getting challenging here. You mean I can't fire back when somebody does something wrong to me? Nope, that's on the table too. Don't repay evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone and to everyone and to everyone. You guys hear that? I love the inclusivity of this. It's not just in our Christian bubble. It's seeking to do good to everyone. And when should we do this? It's in your Bible.
1: Somebody? When? Always. That's right. Christian, are you squirming yet? I
0: am. Like, this is a lot. Paul's putting a lot on the table. There's more. Rejoice always. What does rejoice mean? It means to feel or show delight. Feeling and showing delight is what rejoicing looks like. When are we supposed to do this? Always. Pray without ceasing. He's going to put that on the table too. Talk with God and listen to him, right? What does prayer without ceasing look like? Talk with God and listen to him. It's a conversation. And how often are we to do this? Always, without ceasing. And here we go, the centerpiece of joy in Jesus. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is where we're gonna linger for a little bit. So Paul just set the table, right, for the believer with all sorts of things and commands that our lives ought to look like. He rattled off some pretty high calls. But this one, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul emphasized this one with a really powerful follow-up statement. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is Paul pushing all the chips into the center of the table and saying, this one here, it's worth everything. Thanksgiving, it's the will of God for you. And it's, in, it's his intended purpose for you, Christian. Okay, so maybe you're overwhelmed right now. Perhaps you're starting to check out. It's like, that's a long list, Chris. That's too much to ask of me right now. I get it. But lean in with me because there's some hope here. I want to propose some practical ways we can begin to live some of this out. Mainly, how we can live out a life of thanksgiving. Not just occasionally, but in all circumstances. So before I get to the practical, let's read two other passages together that will help us here. And these are going to be up on the screen for you so you don't have to turn there. I'd encourage you actually to just stay put in Thessalonians because we'll be right back there. Before I... Uh, So, before I get to the practical, let me read these. Especially for those who, like the Thessalonian believers, might be saying, wait a minute, Chris. How am I supposed to give thanks in the middle of really jacked up stuff? James 1, 1 through 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Okay, so James is saying that we should be joyful when hard things come. It's a fairly simple text, right? But doesn't this seem odd and counterintuitive? Can we just be honest here as believers? This is hard to do. Why, James? Why should we do this? Well, because
1: God is doing something in the hard stuff. He's growing your faith and trust in him.
0: And you're becoming more like him through this, particularly in his character of steadfastness. And, Christian, what our world needs right now is to see some steadfast, joyful believers. Amen? Let's look at one more passage Romans 5. This is Romans 5, 1 through 5. This is very rich and dense. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Isn't that a beautiful text? We just spent an entire series talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has poured the love of God into our hearts, believer. So we're seeing a bit more here, right? Paul's give thanks in all circumstances is not just a pithy wall art statement that's disconnected from suffering. There's a deep, meaningful wellspring to draw life from here in the midst of suffering few things about this Romans passage. Did you notice that faith and peace come from what Jesus has done for us, right? It's not mustered up faith and peace. It comes from what Jesus has done for us. It's a gift. We are justified and counted right because of
1: Jesus. And we got our faith from him. So from that place, we rejoice.
0: Jesus made it possible for us, not in our own strength, not in our own mustering up of happy, clappy joy, right? I'm just going to be happy, but a joy that's rooted in the hope, in the hope of the glory of God. This is what Romans is saying here. But our rejoicing doesn't stop there. Again, Paul tells us to rejoice even in our suffering. Why? Because it's doing something in you. It's producing fruit. Do you remember just a couple of weeks ago we talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit
1: and the mark of what a Christian life looks like? Suffering is a mark of the Christian life, so is the fruit of the Spirit.
0: Where does that fruit come from? It seems to me that Paul and James are saying that fruit comes out of suffering. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, right? And hope is what we all need and what we're all looking
1: for, is it not? It's what our world needs. It's what they're looking for, right? And
0: hope, I love this. This is in your Bible. Hope in God never puts us to shame. Because at the end of that rope of our hope, is the love of God. It's been poured into our hearts, a guarantee by the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. And in case your head's down right now, I want you to look up here, every, every eye up here. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying this morning, if you miss everything I said the last 10 minutes, you don't hear anything else.
1: Hear this. God loves you. God loves you. How do I know this? Because this word, every page of it says
0: so. And because of the thousand years of stories, thousands of years of stories of people who are radically changed by this love. And that's, cute little kids
1: song that we all sang in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. It's truth right here.
0: This, God's love for us, this is where thanksgiving begins and ends. God's love. And this is why I'm proposing and I believe Paul's proposing that thanksgiving should be the centerpiece of the believer's life. Well, let's jump back into our passage in Thessalonians. There are just a few more things to throw on the table for the new believers or for the believers' life. Verse 19, he says this: Do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. I want you to maybe think of the Holy Spirit as you would maybe your best friend or maybe your spouse, your bride, your husband. When we're short in our speech, when we yell, when we drop the ball, when we don't do something we said we were going to do, or fill in the blank, our friend or our spouse is grieved, right? It's pretty simple to see that. Quenching the spirit is like throwing dirt or like a wet blanket on fire. It just squelches it. And that dirt and that wet blanket is sin, right? It's our brokenness. We all know those moments in our earthly relationships. And Paul's just saying, hey, it happens, but don't don't do this with your relationship with God. He goes on to say, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. I believe that Paul's referring to the prophecies about the return of Christ here. This is what they're suffering over. The Jews are saying, no, you've got it all wrong. And he's saying, don't despise the prophecies. Jesus is going to return.
1: Test everything. Test everything with the word of God. I hope you're not
0: despising what I'm sharing with you this morning. Uh, And I hope that you're testing everything I say this morning, because I too can get it wrong. Test it by the word of God. Hold fast to what is good. Right Here's the next command. I picture a rodeo rider in the chute getting ready to take on the bull for eight seconds. Right, What's he doing? Y'all have seen it. He's strapping that thing around his wrist. I think it's this way, right? And he's strapping and strapping and strapping. He's cinching that thing tight. That's the image of hold fast. Hold fast to what
1: is good. As if your life depends on it. Abstain from every form of evil. Which form
0: of evil? Every form. It's everywhere, right? And it's so easy to dance with. From slandering our neighbor, just a few pointed comments about our neighbor, to maybe indulging in too much drink, maybe watching something we know we shouldn't be watching on Netflix or HBO or whatever it is. Endlessly scrolling on our phones. Who doesn't do this? Looking for something other than God to fill that longing in our heart, that desire in our heart, looking for something just to satisfy, right? Oh, maybe that will bring some
1: happiness. So there it is, Paul's commands, right? It's a full table of commands with being thankful
0: right there in the center of it. So let's get practical. How do we live this out? Let's look at three ways we might be able to cultivate a life of practicing thanksgiving in all circumstances as a believer. I like to think about this as like a wheel. If, if thanksgiving and our lives moving toward Christ in the spirit of thanksgiving, I like to picture it like a wheel with three spokes. And I'm going to draw from this text to fill in those spokes. These spokes are what keep that wheel true and moving in gratitude. The first one is this. Practicing prayer will stir up thanksgiving in our hearts. Practicing prayer. Paul says it, pray without ceasing. The more time we spend in prayer, the more we will find our hearts filling up with gratitude. Now, there's a key here. Prayer isn't just one way. It's a relationship with God. So think about this for a moment. Prayer is a conversation, right? It's the expression of thoughts and words to God and then posturing ourselves to receive something back from him, to listen. One of my favorite ways to pray is to actually just pray scripture back to God. God, thank you that while I was yet a sinner, you sent Jesus to die for me. It's a prayer back to God, a prayer of thanksgiving. Or maybe this, God, would you open the eyes of my heart to see the breadth, width, and depth of your love for me? It's a simple prayer. How do we pray without ceasing? We can pray scripture back to God. When we don't have the words, pray scripture back to God. These prayers can also be super simple. God, thank you for placing my feet on the ground today. Thank you for breath in my lungs. Thank you that I can actually see with my eyes today. Thank you for this beautiful sunrise and this sky, right? There are all kinds of ways we can pray without ceasing. And it begins to bubble up the spirit of thanksgiving in us. As you pray and as you posture yourself to listen to the God of the universe, I guarantee you, you will find something to be grateful for and something to be thankful for. So Paul's telling us to pray without ceasing because he knows it will bring joy. We pray constantly and our hearts become more and more in line with the will of God. The closer we get to God, the more joy we have. And the more joy we have the more thankful we become. And the more thankful we become, the more our lives model a kind of love that attracts others. So that's one spoke, praying without ceasing. Number two, serving one another will produce a thankful heart. If you look at all the commands that Paul set on the table before give thanks, they're all related to serving one another. So maybe there's a key here about giving thanks in all circumstances. Maybe we need to serve one another. I love this. This this past week in our men's group, uh, one of our men piped up with just kind of this spontaneous uh, story of thanksgiving and just told the guys in the group, you know what? I'm just really grateful for the relationships that I've built as I've started serving in the mornings. Now, this guy is going through a tough season. And he could easily say, look, life's just too hard right now. I don't have time to serve. There's just too much going on. But instead, he chose to use his gifts and to serve. And it's fostering this heart of thanksgiving in him. And he wants to share it with us. So maybe a a step for you today is just looking at how you might serve others. Maybe specifically in the church. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Don't leave here today without a chance to jump in to serving one another. That's the most beautiful thing about the church. We've talked about this last week in Unity, that God brings together the church to love and serve one another. He's doing it on serve teams. He's doing it in small groups. I see the stories week in and week out. It's amazing to watch. So if you're on the sidelines, I want to encourage you to jump in. Number three. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Maybe you would say it in short, practicing holiness. And you will become a more thankful person. When we hold fast to what is good, right? You remember that rodeo rider's hand? When we're holding fast to scripture, truth, the beauty of God's creation, God's character, the redemption we have in Christ when we're holding fast onto those things, what the Holy Spirit has been sent to cultivate in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, gratitude begins to bubble up from all these nooks and crannies of our lives as we're holding fast to that. We see goodness in the face of Jesus Christ and we can't stop gratitude from rising up. And when we couple that with a life of ceaseless prayer and service to others, look out. A kind of joy will begin to spill over in your life that is just plain
1: infectious. You've been around these people. You can be one of these people. Paul's encouraging you to be one of these people. You'll become
0: more outward. You'll want to share your thankfulness and your joy with others. Don't we want to be a church like that? that our light begins to shine so brightly out of thanksgiving that we're pleasant to be around, that the people and the broken and the weary want to actually be around us. Man, that's the church I want to be a part of. And the opposite's also true. When we engage in evil, slander, malice, anger, wrath, lust, pride, envy, jealousy, when we're practicing those things, it's almost impossible to be thankful. You know what I'm talking about. You just get into that cycle. It's one thing after another, and pretty soon you've gone days without even being grateful for one thing.
1: So Paul's saying abstain from evil. It's another spoke of our wheel, right? So I wonder if this week, heading into
0: the Christmas season or maybe heading into this new year, you took this wheel. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. You took this wheel that represents a thankful life that represents Jesus in the center of that thankful life. And you kind of took these three spokes and you just spent some time journaling about how you're doing in these three areas. What does prayer without ceasing look like for you? Maybe it's overwhelming and it's hard to start. But just begin to journal in that section. What does prayer look like for me? What, what are some goals I could set? Maybe it's five minutes a day. Maybe it's, I just want to utter more prayers of thankfulness throughout the day between me and the Lord. Examine serving. What does serving others look like for you right now in this season? Is it serving on a serve team? Is it actually just dialing back so that you can be more present with your family and serving them? Men, maybe it's folding the laundry for your wife. Maybe it's doing
1: the dishes. Maybe it's mopping the floor. Calling out the men there.
0: And then lastly, holiness. Take an account of what your life looks like right now. What things are you holding on to that are good? Journal those down. What are the things that I'm having a hard time abstaining from? Journal those down. And just reflect. Reflect. Wouldn't that be a cool way to go into this Christmas season just going, I want to come away from Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving holiday, and I want to actually live a life of gratitude daily. And in order to do that, you have to do some work. Paul set a whole table of things with Thanksgiving in the centerpiece. We can't just grab what's in the center
1: and expect to live it out. All these things are connected. It's a table. As we close, this has to be
0: bigger than us. We collectively make up the church, right? So we're kind of talking about our own lives here. But imagine this collectively. If each of us began to feast at this table that Paul is laying out for us with all of these commands, with thanksgiving in the center, we would all begin to grow in maturity and in strength as we follow Christ. And as we push our tables together, as the church, and we gather more chairs so that more people can come around the table, that single candle that we might place in the middle of our table, that centerpiece of gratitude, it will
1: become a collection of candles and they'll begin to shine brightly. It will become like a, a collection of candles shining a light of hope that this world
0: is desperately searching for. So Christian, if we don't get this right our light's diminished if we don't get gratitude our light's diminished it's not that we're unsaved it's just we have a dim light our tables are scrappy nobody wants to eat at them but if you can imagine if even just in this room and those watching took heed of paul's encouragement and his instructions today and began to really live these out, what kind of impact we might have in our city. Just this room and just those watching. Can you imagine if we leaned in and lived this out? Can you see how living a life of gratitude is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus? It's not just a pithy statement, right? It's connected to all of these things that Paul is laying out for us in the table. I want to read the closing of this letter that I, I began with.
1: I don't know what I did with it here.
0: Here it is. Okay. Let me close with this. I was scrolling through Instagram a few days ago and came across a post from my friends in Paris. Dan and Lisa, serve using, among many other things, their incredible gifts of hospitality. The photo they posted was of more than a dozen strangers gathered around their living room table for a Thanksgiving meal. And then it hit me. In the eyes of each person, I saw myself. I saw the outsider who never knew such a loving community existed until that very night. I saw the person who lives alone in a tiny apartment, starved of love and community, finally finding a place at the table. And I saw the greatest gift that humankind has ever known and will ever know, the love of Jesus Christ. Eight years ago, when the invitation to my first Thanksgiving arrived via a simple
1: text message, it was more than just an open door to sit at the table. It was an open door to eternity.
0: Yes, it opened the doors to amazing friendships and to meeting and marrying the love of my life, but above all, it was an invitation to sit at God's table of blessing. Through addiction, tragedy, failed suicide attempts, and divorce, Jesus had been seeking me and guiding me over and over again. His invitation had always been there, I would just never accepted it. Not only did that invitation save my life, but in 2017, I had the privilege of inviting my own father to the table. I watched in astonishment, almost detached from what was happening, as the Holy Spirit guided my 80-year-old father to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The ripple of that first Thanksgiving
1: continues to transform and save souls. Friends, what if Thanksgiving was more than a meal we celebrate once a year, conjuring up a
0: few things that we're thankful for? Don't you want to invite someone to a better Thanksgiving table like Mally McLaughlin? Don't you want to see someone else radically changed by the love of Christ? Maybe it's your 80-year-old grandfather or your 80-year-old father or mother, perhaps a sibling a neighbor, or a coworker, or maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching and listening and you're a little bit more like Mally was
1: before he was invited to Thanksgiving. Desperate, lost, searching at the end of your rope. You're just seeking for an answer. You're seeking for hope. I want to invite you this morning to come sit at the better Thanksgiving table. If that's you this morning,
0: you can simply receive the love of God that's available today in Christ Jesus. It's an open invitation for you to come and eat
1: and drink the table of God's grace. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says this,
0: Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He
1: who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We just spent all morning talking about what we can
0: do. But friends, please don't miss it. God and his faithfulness and his spirit is the one that helps us walk this out.
1: He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Let's live lives of gratitude. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank
0: you for Paul's words that have been preserved for us for such a time as this. We thank you that we can glean from his instructions to a church that was experiencing suffering and persecution. And God, I pray for those this morning who are going through a season of suffering and they are just finding it difficult to be grateful. Maybe they're experiencing hopelessness. God, would you break through? Would you show them your love? Would you show them Jesus Christ this morning? Would you help them to receive the free gift? And for those of us who are wanting to mature in our faith and seeking to grow, as you've instructed us to grow, would you help us by your spirit live lives of gratitude that we might shine brightly and make a difference in our world, leading others to see the true source of gratitude and thankfulness in Jesus Christ. Amen.